Alexander Snitker, libertarian, Republican, and political hack, and Adrian Wiley, born-again anarchist and political has-been. Banter, blather, and joke about current events while attempting to figure out whether to keep trying to salvage our constitutional republic or just stock up on marshmallows to roast on the smoldering embers of society. It's time for Unattended Baggage. Why, thank you, Ledge. Hello, everyone in Podcastville or Internet Land or wherever you may reside. This is Alex, co-host, Unattended Baggage. Along with me is my radio life mate, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Adrian, Chairman of the Building Materials Projectile Changing of the Logistics Committee of the Western Florida Guild, Professional Anarchist Local Chapter 151, Wiley. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it, but after uh, over 400 shows, I just realized you don't actually say your uh, last name in the intro there. Yeah. What, what's your last name there? Uh, Snicker. Can I see some ID, please? No. <laughs> no, you cannot. Yeah. Yeah, I just realized that. You you give my full name, but you uh, you fail to give yours. Like, is that some type of egocentric thing? You, you just think everybody knows who you are. Yeah. So you would think that that's egocentric instead of just being more humble. Um, if it was anyone else, I would think it was out of humility. But because it's you. I, that I'm, I'm not I'm, humble? No. No, not even remotely. Are you teapotty meat kettle? Or oh, tea, no. Teapotty yeah, yeah. meat kettle? <laughs> I never claimed any humility on my part. I'm arrogant oh. as hell. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are, as a matter of fact. But I just uh, just never realized that before. You don't actually uh, give people your last name. Well, yeah, but it's said in the- hiding? It, it, no, no. It's said in the show. Like, with Ledges intro has it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, what you're doing is redundancy. So, really, in all reality, you're, you're kind of just- uh, I don't know. It's superfluous. I well, think. because I give the, you a big, you have a big title there, so you got to put the the. Well, you actually don't put the most important thing uh, in my title, which cool. is uh, uh, producer and engineer. Because <sighs> I look, I got a, all the dials and levers and buttons and knobs to push over here. Yeah, yeah. That's why you know, while you're busy spouting off the intro, I'm actually having to do the, the yeah. Work well, I'm busy working. Makes it happen. No, yeah. I'm the one doing the work. No, I'm doing the work. I actually have to push like three or four different buttons and to make that all that happen. You yeah, know? I bet so. you do. <laughs> Fuck you. How about that? Speaking of pushing buttons, how you doing today, buddy? Oh, I've had better days. Man. Yeah, I've yeah. You seem uh, you, you seem like uh, you're uh, not not quite in the great mood today. No, which of course triggered my natural. Uh, assholeness and contrarianism, which means I have to give you shit when you're in a bad mood. Yeah, you're not the only one. (laughs) You're not the only one. I guess I'll I'll dial it down a notch. I'm sorry you're not having a good day. That's all right, man. It's just kid problems. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But you you actually, and not to go into it in too much detail, but um, you did uh, tell me some of your kid problems, and I will say for the record that is... 100% 100% normal kid stuff, dude. <laughs> it's not anything to be actually alarmed about. Uh, I don't know. Well, I'm not getting into it in this show. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. So how was your fourth? Okay, so it's weird that, to have the 4th of July on a Tuesday. Let me just say that for the record. Yeah, yeah, that always throws because, everything out of whack. like, you had fireworks going on a little bit, you know, Saturday, a little bit on Sunday, a little bit more on Monday, and then Tuesday was the big night. But because there were so many other nights, Tuesday wasn't as big as like I've noticed other years have been. Right. So it seemed like it got spread out a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, not in my hood. I mean, they were doing fireworks all weekend, but on Tuesday, man, they 
that was a show. <laughs> and people, that was a well, show. and here's the thing though, like people, like Monday morning, like Monday and Tuesday, people were not working. Yeah. Even Wednesday, there were people that were off. Like it was a we like the fourth. Yeah, the, it July fourth is it always was, a yeah. But it was weird that it was because it was on a Tuesday. Like people had various times off. Yeah. So it made it for weird traffic. You know, in the manufacturing industry, that is actually uh, a, a lot of factories shut down for that entire week. Yeah, you know? I think you had a lot of businesses this week shut down for like the whole week too, yeah. though. Yeah. I think people took vacations and. Yeah, I think that primarily comes from the auto industry because the the auto industry in years past always used used to use that week to retool their factories. And back when the automotive industry was such a driver of America's industrial labor force, uh, because so many subcontractors were supplying it, that while they were retooling, it was just a good idea for all the subcontracting manufacturers to shut down as well. So I got you. Yeah. So just interesting there. But I, w- I will say, though, that it, and there's been some there, there's some some polls that came out for this about, you know, people being less patriotic than they were in the past. Part of me actually even understands it. I don't necessarily agree with why these people are not patriotic, but like I'm I'm not as patriotic as I have been in the past. I can tell you that right now. Like I wasn't as big on celebrating the 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 reason behind the season kind of thing when it comes to the 4th of July. Right. I, I, I was kind of there on that. I was happy just to work and make money. I made good money that night, so it wasn't too bad. Right. Um a lot of traffic going on around, but like just overall, I don't know. I just, I'm not. Oh no, I totally get it. I'm know. not go America anymore. Like I'm not like, but I, it's weird though. The reasons, like I know that there's other people and the reasons why they're not go America, but like, I don't know. I'm so disgusted with everybody. Yeah. Like with both sides of these political debates and and the people on both sides of the political debates at this point, like it's not enough to it's not enough just to blame the politicians. You have to blame the people that are enabling these assholes. Oh, without question. And yeah. they're all to blame. And it goes into some of the stories this week. Well, I, about it, but like I, I, I want to talk about the the fourth more as really, you know, I I just see it as a giant marketing campaign. Yeah, and I'm not just talking about all the Fourth of July yeah, sales. Yeah, but are all there. holidays just marketing campaigns? They now, are. Though? Oh, without question. But the the July Fourth, more so, because uh, in all reality, if if you ask you know ten people, average people on the street, um, you're going to get a significant percentage that don't even know what we're celebrating. About the most they can probably come up with is it's America's birthday. You know. I mean, you get some people that are definitely like that. Yeah. And then maybe you get, you know, 60% that can say, well, we're celebrating our independence. And then you ask from whom? And maybe, you know, 30% know, well, from England, you know. Yeah. When, <laughs> you know. It's it's astounding how it really, you know. And again, I see all these. I'm so jaded. Just so incredibly jaded. But I see all these type of nationalistic you know, holidays as just marketing campaigns designed to promote nationalism, quote unquote, patriotism. Um, and it's it's it, in most cases, people have no idea why, but it's extremely um, effective in doing its job. But it's becoming less and less effective. Well, you hold, know on, what I'm hold, hold on real quick, though. Like, it's weird how you say it that way. Right. And yet at the same time. 
there's such an ignorance into the history of it at the same time. Right. Like I and I don't I don't I don't disagree with your point about it being to promote nationalism, but I would I would add another word to it though, and it would be blind nationalism. Yes. Yeah. And not to look, we're spending so much money on education in this country <laughs> and to see that when we used to spend less money on education before people would have a much better idea as to what we were actually celebrating. Right. Like, it's amazing that the education dollars go up and yet the ignorance of the population as a total goes down. <laughs> well, no, hold on. Hold <laughs> yeah. on. The, the the money goes up and the ignorance goes up at the same time. Right, yeah. It's almost like that they're teaching the ignorance. Oh, without question. Without or, question. Yeah. You know, to teach people to not understand the history of it. Yeah. And, and then for the people, it's, it's oh, God, it's so weird to say well, it this way, even, too. Well, and even the history of this country is a very propagandized version. And again, look, I'm not. And propagandized on both sides, by the way. Oh, yeah. Without We're question. either the greatest. Here, here's the thing. We're either the greatest country in the world that has never, ever made a mistake. Right. Or we're. The worst country in the world. Right. That like, is, yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no of a, look, there were some problems, but this, like. Yeah, look, the bottom line is the reality of this country is we've done some really good things and some really bad things. Yeah. But even the and really bad take, things aren't put into proper perspective. Like, the, the perspective is completely re- gone out of all of it. Well, again, it's, a, it's the, you know, uh, right, left, red, blue, black, white culture that we live in today you know everything has to be one extreme or the other there's there's not that rational middle ground you know yeah god i'd love to see a rational middle ground yeah (laughs) no you're not going to get it anymore we're we're way beyond that we are way beyond that by the way anybody that would be a rational person that would be look when you go back and you listen to like people like uh oh shit what's his name he was a speaker of the house paul ryan Okay. And you listen to him and he sounds rational, you know <laughs> right? you got problems. <laughs> yeah. Like when you can go back to like, you know, oh, yeah. George W. Bush or Clinton and you're like, oh man. Well, it, it, by today's standards, they were very moderate. You know, even though at the time we thought they were two pretty far extremes, now the extremes have gotten so uh, far apart that they tend to fall into a, a kind of a middle ground. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's happening. The extremes are just, you know, gaining more control over politics in this country. And you know. they've taken over both political parties at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You so. know, and which, again, we'll get into a lot of this stuff today. But all right. So the first thing I did want to get into was um, there was a judge. And let me re- let me read. I'll read a little bit from the political article on this one. Um, uh, and the article is a judge limits Biden administration contact with social media firms. A federal judge in Louisiana ruled Tuesday that the Biden administration likely violated the First Amendment by censoring unfavorable views on social media over the course of the coronavirus pandemic, calling the efforts Orwellian. U.S. District Judge Terry uh, Doherty uh, also issued a a sweeping preliminary injunction barring numerous federal officials and agencies, including Surgeon General, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, White House Press Secretary, and all employees of the Justice Department and the FBI from having any contact with social media firms for the purpose of discouraging or removing First Amendment protected speech. The ruling uh, and and order from Doherty, uh, an appointee of former President Donald Trump, um, are the latest developments in a long-running lawsuit spearheaded by Republican-led states alleging that the administration pressured social media companies to remove posts containing purported misinformation about the coronavirus, election, and security, and other issues. Uh, and 
quoting from the article during the COVID-19 pandemic period, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty. The United States government seems to have issued a role similar to an Aurelian ministry of truth. Doherty wrote in his 155 page opinion, which was released as most federal courts were closed for the independence day holiday. Doherty ruling appears to take effect immediately, but isn't a final decision on the suit and can be appealed by the Biden administration to the New Orleans-based 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. The Justice Department declined to comment on the ruling Tuesday. A spokesman for the White House did not immediately respond for a request for comment. Well, they did respond later. Um, and, uh, of course, this is going to be appealed because this is the fight. This is the biggest fight coming up is the fight for information, the fight for who gets to define truth. Um, and uh, this this fight is not going away. This is a setback for... Um, I don't want to just say the Biden administration. It's it's going to be for whomever wields power in this country, uh, because both sides absolutely want to control the information. But this particular issue uh, stems from COVID, quote unquote, misinformation. Now, during COVID, there was a lot of people spouting a lot of opinions and uh, putting out a lot of things as facts that weren't necessarily uh, but there was also the government doing the same thing, uh, spouting a lot of opinion and putting out things as facts that weren't. OK, um, the truth, again, once again, the truth was somewhere in the middle. Not everything that the government ended up saying was true. We've learned that now. And certainly not everything that some of the crazies out there were, uh, you know, were saying on the Internet, like uh, eat oleander to, you know, <laughs> cure covid, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, that shit will kill you. Um but, you know, it's it's really about the control of information. It's really about the packaging, the marketing, you know, the uh, uh, you know, who gets to to say what. And so in this case, this is a good thing for freedom of speech. Um, but I found it interesting is that the Biden administration, and I forget who said this. I, I don't know if it was the press secretary or what um, said that we have a First Amendment right to talk to these companies, okay? And I found that just incredibly interesting that somehow the government would think that an amendment that starts with Congress shall make no law (laughs) gives them a right. Seems to me like the First Amendment is a prohibition on government. You know, governments don't have First Amendment rights. People in power don't have First Amendment rights when exercising that power. Okay. Here's the thing. And again, if you listen to a lot of the media reports about this, Mm -hmm. is that the media, the first point you were making about uh, the power and control and packaging of the media, this is why the mainstream media has totally misconstrued and lied about this ruling and has gone against the ruling. Right. Like they they think that this ruling is bad because they agree with what they don't disagree with what the government was doing in this situation. Where if you look at what the government was doing, look there's a big difference between government putting out what it wants to put out, right? Right. And then behind the scenes, pressuring social media companies to take down the information. Right. There's a difference there. Oh, absolutely. A government can issue press releases all they want. Exactly. That's the thing. So their First Amendment right Right. is not being 
Right. Like, it, it, let's let's go along the lines of they have the right to say what they want to say, right? Right. Let's go along those lines. So if they want to well, say... Well, I would say, I, I wouldn't say that, that government has the right to freedom of speech. They have an obligation to inform the public. Okay. That's the difference. Yeah. I get you. And even if they're wrong, they can put their stuff out, right? Right. But this isn't what they were doing, though. They weren't putting no. that information out. They were telling the companies to take other information down. Correct. And that's the difference. Like, I listened to um, uh, the NPR Politics podcast. Right. And they had a, the whole thing about this. And What was their take on it? Oh, uh, this is a threat to democracy. The this ruling, ruling is, a, is a threat to democracy. And how did they defend that? That the government is only trying to take down misinformation. Right. Like, but who gets to decide the government's, that? The, but, but, but the government's benevolent in what they're doing, and they're right. doing it for your own good. And so if you stop them from doing it for your own good, you may believe information that isn't true. All right. So let me ask you this question. Again, so I'm just, don't blame me. Oh, I'm not blaming you. I okay. kind of just a devil's advocate okay. scenario here. I don't like to play devil's advocate on this one, but go ahead. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I just want to ask is, so which one was information? when the government initially was telling us that masks do nothing and you don't need them, or when the government was telling us that masks prevent the spread of COVID and you have to wear them? Oh, no, I, I mean... I, right, which one was the disinformation? Because those are two polar opposite things that the government said. According to... Okay, I, I got to play devil's advocate here. I right. don't want to, but I will. According to I, the... the Look, listening to they didn't they didn't mention this specific of thing that you're did. talking yeah. about. However, in in my mind, what they would say is a is it was a a reason for it was is that when new information comes out, then they can change their mind. Okay, so how is that any different with the folks who were you know quote unquote spreading disinformation online? And I will grant you that there was some crazy, stupid ass shit. That people were saying online during the whole COVID thing. There's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. But there was also some crazy, stupid ass shit that the government was saying and the mainstream media was saying that in retrospect turned out to be all not all that true. You know, so, you know, who gets that's what I'm saying. Who is the arbiter of truth? And that's really where you have to be careful, because if you are going to blanket say that the government is the arbiter of all truth. You live in a completely controlled information world. You get no other uh, point of view than what the government wants you to believe. Now, that is something that every single authoritarian government, every single totalitarian regime seeks to achieve. And many of them accomplish it. In China, you don't get any information that isn't approved by government. In Russia, you don't get any information that isn't approved by government. Every totalitarian regime strives for that. And controlling information, when you start saying that, you know, that you give the government the authority to control what is and isn't true information, um, yes, as an individual, you have to wade through a bunch of bullshit because there's a lot of people out there saying a lot of stupid things. But when there's only one voice, that's when you end up losing all your rights and all your freedoms because that becomes that's it. That is the the gospel. It's the word down from on high. And if you disagree with it, eventually you're going to probably end up in a jail cell. Okay. In their mind, and again, the 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 
the NPR podcast, the politics podcast, was a really good kind of very nice way of going about what they were trying to say. Right. So let me give an overall viewpoint on it, at least from my opinion. They have a established class of people, and that goes along the lines with politicians mm-hmm. right. and media right. and their cadre of experts, right? Right. That all toe a, a a certain line. Yeah, it's it's and in some ways it's bipartisan, even though it's a lot more of it's on the left than on the right now. But it's bipartisan for the most part, and that there is this established group of people that they're the ones that will listen to each other, and they may have conversation amongst themselves. But whatever they come up with is the narrative that goes along the lines that they, that they disseminate to the American public. And that is the ultimate truth in their view. Yeah, and so if you go against those things, whether you're on the left or on the right, yeah. that you're outside of that now. That's why, look, if you look at what they did to Matt Taibbi uh, during the congressional hearings, he's the reporter that was part of the Twitter files, mm-hmm. and they threatened him. Look, Matt Taibbi is not a right-wing guy. He's just not. Glenn Greenwald... And what right. he did, they, they they hate Glenn Greenwald. Right. Like, those guys are of the left. RFK. Right. And the stuff he says about vaccines. Where, look, they will label him as a whack job, mm-hmm. which, don't get me wrong, he said some stuff that's a little bit wacky from time to time. But his overall point, if you, if you take the time to listen to the overall point, A, he does make a little bit of sense, and B, his prescription for it is to give people choice. Right. Like, in that aspect, look, you can believe what you want as long as your solution is is that you're going to give people choice. Right. And if you actually believe in civil liberties, which a lot of these people are, and there's, look, the reasons why guys like Joe Rogan or Glenn Greenwald or Matt Taibbi or some of these other people are thrown out of the established order or whatever you want to put it as is because they're willing to call out bullshit when it's time to call out bullshit and they don't just give you the same platitudes. Again, listening to that NPR podcast, they're saying that people having the freedom to say whatever they want to say is a, is a, is a, is, is somehow damaging to democracy. Right. There's nothing that's more opposite of that. Right. Like, how can you even say and again it's one of those buzzwords it's one of those buzzwords now this is a threat to democracy no it's not it's the opposite it's the the government going to twitter behind the scenes or to facebook behind the scenes and having weekly meetings with them with certain posts and pages and things that they want you to take down right does one thing one is it is it takes the responsibility of doing it onto a social media company. So if that person complains, they're saying, well, Facebook has the right to take down whatever they want to take down, right. which is exactly. true. Exactly, that's true. And if here's the thing. If Facebook wants to take it down, they have every right to do it. Right. I, I, they have every right but to do it. But when they're being pressured by government. When they're being threatened. Right, exactly. There's a difference between, look, on Facebook, you have a button that says if you want to t- like if you want to complain about a post, right? Right. Well, in this aspect, the government should have the exact same power that you as an individual have. Exactly. They can put in a fucking message right. and say it that way and communicate with them, but they don't want that. No. They want to have a weekly meeting with them because they think that they know what's better for you and that they will use their power. And again, 
it's like a it, it's it's like a, a employer employee relationship. Right. The employer has the power, which also means yes. that they have a responsibility to not use that power for nefarious reasons. Even the the even the perception of it right. is a problem. Right. And that's what these guys and again, look. Well, and again, using the employer employee relationship, that's the relationship with the government and the the social media in this case is because even if the government is not specifically saying, "Hey, look, if you don't do what we're telling you to, there's going to be repercussions. It's kind of like your boss coming to you and say, hey, I need you to do this by Monday. And if you don't do it, you know, or even if they don't say by Monday, they say, hey, can you do this for me? You know that if you don't, there's possible repercussions, you know, because the government has the power, the employer has the power to, you know, cause you harm in that case. The employer has the power to fire you, you know. So, again, there's, there's that dynamic in play. But I do want to kind of, again, play devil's advocate on this. Now, we do live in a world today where somehow, some way, through social media, um, about you know, 10% of the U.S. population has been convinced that the earth is flat. Okay? So we do live in a world where misinformation even the most ridiculous, dumbass misinformation influences people. So in those instances, you know, I can see where some of those people think that they are acting in the best interests of democracy. The problem is, and the question that you have to ask yourself is, what is better to have, um, you know, all the information in the world out there, even completely wrong information, and let individuals decide for themselves? Or is it better for a single entity, in this case the government, comprised of the ultra-rich and ultra-powerful, deciding what information everyone can consume? And I would say, I'll take the dumbasses, thanks, because I don't want anyone controlling my access to information. I don't want anyone being the arbiter of what is the ultimate truth in my view, in my opinion. And I also know that that is always, always one of the steps that governments take when they want to achieve complete oppression of the people that they're supposed to serve. Yeah. So you know what? I'll take the dumbasses because I realize that half of the people out there are below average intelligence. That's just statistics. So dumb people are always going to believe dumb things. Okay. And if you just accept that that is the nature of the world, you realize that, yeah, we need to just leave that information out there and, you know, not let a, a you know, the 0.01% of the population control what information we have access to. Because that almost guarantees that we will be at some point in the near future living under a totalitarian regime. I, 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 like, I don't disagree with anything that you just said right there. I think you said it actually very well. The, 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 you have freedom and democracy, if you want to use that term. It means everybody gets to say what they want to say. And then you can decide for yourself what right. you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. You cannot allow anyone, including me, including you, no one can be the arbiter of truth. 
It's not possible and it's rife for abuse. And that's ultimately the, pro- look, look, I hate flat earth. Again, using the flat earth theory is a great one. Like, well, I it's hate, the most extreme, yeah, you know. I hate flat earthers. I hate them. I, I, you're so, so fucking, fucking stupid. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. Right. But I also don't want to not for you to not be able to sit there and believe yourself as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Again, as long as you're not infringing on the rights of anybody else, you can believe whatever you want to believe because in order to actually have freedom, you have to have the freedom to believe dumb shit. Yep. And you know what, man? If that causes the downfall of the world, you know what? I got a lot more faith that that won't cause the downfall of the world than you have the ministry of fucking truth. Right. Because the ministry of truth will absolutely lead to a downfall. Right. There's no getting around that. But see, the the difference is with the NPR elites you were talking about before is there is really only one fundamental difference between what you and I believe and what they believe, okay? Um, they believe that the the overwhelming moral position is that the good of society is the most important thing, and that they believe that they are the ones who get to determine what is for the good of society. That there should be a small group of people making the determination for everyone else what is for the good of society. Whereas you and I believe, and I I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I don't think I am, is that it is up to each individual to have the freedom to come to their own beliefs and their own system of values, which is, you know, the, the best for their own individual life. And that collectively... All of us working in our individual best interests are the best thing for society as a whole. Okay, so it's really that fundamental difference in belief, whether it be society is paramount or the individual is paramount, Um, because if, if you believe society is paramount, you have to believe that there's a small group of people who must be in control of it. Whereas if you believe the individual is paramount, you believe that, you know, hey, each individual has the the own right to set their own right to set their own path. And in general, people are good, decent human beings that will set a path that is collectively good for everyone. And that's really the 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 bottom line. It's it's a fundamental thought process that gets you to all these different positions. You didn't put any words in my mouth. I didn't um, think so. <laughs> I, I would have probably said it exactly like that. The only the only thing I will add to that is when they talk about democracy, their version of democracy mm-hmm. is a top-down control. Right. Where our version of democracy is individuals making their own decisions and then collectively whatever they come up with is the way that democracy moves forward. They like to say that they're for the way that we're talking about it. Right. But they're not really, though. And that this instance, this ruling has, in my opinion, has actually highlighted that ruling. Because, again, right. that ruling is barring the federal government from pressuring social media companies to take down information. It doesn't even ban them from talking to them. It just limits their scope. Like, their scope is now, like, security and things like that. Now, I wanted to read also from 
the Reason article, because Reason put a put an article out as well. So Doherty's ruling is a, a, a preliminary injunction that bars federal agency from engaging in many, though not all, of these behaviors. The outcome has alarmed mainstream outlets like the Washington Post and the New York Times, who reports included quotations from Internet security experts fretting about the federal government's diminished ability to police speech online. Guests on CNN and MSNBC took even more apocalyptic tone. CNN legal legal analyst Ellie Honing uh, assailed that the aggressive, far-reaching ruling, while NBC News reporter Ryan Riley described a world free of federal pressure on social media platforms as one that he wouldn't want to live in. Riley also fundamentally underappreciated the scope of the pressure campaign, telling MSNBC, MSNBC viewers that it's not as though the FBI has been going in and saying, hey, take down this post. That's exactly, That's exactly what, they what they were saying. Yeah. Like he and then hold on. Contrary to Riley's claim, the FBI has done precisely that. For instance, the FBI frequently tagged, flagged joke tweets tweeting about the 2020 election and asked moderators at Twitter to take them down. The White House itself did the very same thing. As Doherty pointed out in his ruling, the White House digital strategy, Rob Flattery, uh, Flattery um, personally appealed to Twitter to remove an account that parodied Biden's granddaughter. Please remove this account immediately, wrote Flattery. 45 minutes later, Twitter complied. If Doherty's decision prevents the federal government from engaging in such heavy-handed muzzling, it would be a welcome relief. Unfortunately, there's no reason to doubt. Oh, there is reason to doubt that the decision will meaningfully constrain the feds. That's because Doherty drew up a list of actions that are not prohibitive by by preliminary injunction, and that this list could pres- could reasonably be read to permit the very sort of behavior jawboning that the, that produced the censorship. So. Even reason is saying like this thing's it's a good step, but it's not going far enough. Right. But these th- these commentators on MSNBC flat out here's the thing: they either didn't read it, they didn't read the ruling, or they did read the ruling and they lied. These people are lying. Now again, I'm not saying on here that I want that person to be banned, even though right. yeah. it's fundamentally clear that they're lying and that's the difference right i want to con- i want to limit the federal government from stopping people from talking mm-hmm. he doesn't want that he just wants to be in control of it yes yes and see that is why and it, it, initially it might seem shocking that the mainstream media and journalists in general would be in favor of government censorship of media. However, because they feel like they're in the cadre of the elite who get to make the decision on what is truth and what is not, that's why they're okay with it. And that's the only reason why. But if you had any type of journalist that was saying anything controversial or anything like that, um, I, I can't imagine they would be in favor of it, but you have to think, take this a step farther. What happens when the media um, begins putting out things that are critical of the government? What's to stop the government from silencing that type of information as well if they have this precedent already? You know, look, it, and that's that's where the danger comes in. Well, and it, look, and it goes along with and it goes along with the mainstream media in its entirety is that if you look at, and we'll talk about more, there's more things this week to talk about as far as like things we can point to. 
my problem with the media is the media acts like the watchdogs when some people are in charge and they act like the um, lap dogs lap dogs when other people are in charge well it, it kind of goes both ways you know what do you mean it, really some people act like watchdogs and some act like the, i don't i don't honestly think they ever act like watchdogs in general i think they that, do when they don't like them yeah it, it's it, it in most cases it seems a lot more like controlled opposition i mean you have to remember that the same people that own 80 percent of the media in this country also own a hundred percent of the politicians okay so that's what you have to keep in mind really you, this this fabricated uh you know uh, conflict between the government and the mainstream media is all within the boundaries of the acceptable speech that the people who own both of them allow to happen okay yeah and, and that's really what you have to understand because again there's there's just a handful of very 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 rich people that control the vast majority of all the media, mainstream media at least, and also control the purse strings of all the politicians. So essentially, both of those entities are going to do ultimately, within a, a certain framework, what those who really uh, you know, control this country and control the world want them to do. You know, so you have to remember that. This is in a very fine line, and that's why you have this situation where you, you have the government wanting to control speech on social media, and you have the media wanting to control speech on social media. The bottom line is because it's the people who control both of those organizations that want to control the narrative, because the narrative, again, is the marketing campaign. It's the 4th of July fireworks. It's the thing that keeps all of us basically in line. Okay, and that's really the ultimate goal. It's for a very few people to be able to exert a certain level of control over the millions upon millions and billions of us out here who they rely on to maintain their wealth and power. And, and, and again, I know that sounds like a, a really crazy thing, but it's not. It's just the reality. And it, this, is, this is not any type of new reality. This is how humanity has been since uh, uh, essentially since we figured out agriculture. OK, this is just the way mankind has developed. And it's it's just now we have all this technology. Yeah, it was much easier to control before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not you can't control it now, though. Like before the it, look when when maybe not a lot of people listen to the show, but when maybe in the 70s, early 80s, there were three channels to get your news at. Basically, right. there yeah. were three different places. Boy, it's a lot easier to control three news outlets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was is that you had more outlets, more outlets, more outlets, and then the internet happened, and then boom. Right. Anybody everybody a, had a voice. Everybody had a voice. And they can't control. And then social media came where you could spread that information out very, very right. quickly. And next thing you know, that some, you know, Joe Schmo nobody could have an audience of millions of people. Mm -hmm. and that, or a Joe Rogan. Or a, exactly. A Joe Rogan's a perfect example. And that, the fact that it could not be controlled, even when it was just, you know, in some, and I'm not saying Joe Rogan is, but I'm saying that some of those voices are just completely fucking nuts or completely fucking stupid. But 
Having said that, it's it's still you can't allow that level of control or you get again where there's only one view and that one view is always being used to essentially keep you in line. It's also why if you look at a lot of the major media people and major outlets that they don't look at China places like China right. with the same disdain right. that we do right. because they look at the control that the Chinese government has and the Communist Party and Chinese has over their people. They're jealous. And they're jealous. Yeah. And and that's why this next article, U.S. podcast misinformation largely goes goes largely unchecked. This is the next thing they're going after. Yeah. Misinformation about everything from election fraud to COVID-19 vaccines is reaching millions of Americans through a popular but opaque medium, podcasts. Many podcasts, on-demand audio programs, which users can listen to on smartphones, bluntly promotes false and unproven claims. <laughs> hey, yeah, if, if it keeps going down this path, it's only a matter of time before we get shut down from all our platforms. Yeah. yeah. So, hold on. And so the Brookings Institution found War Room from former Donald Trump aide Steve Bannon has aired the most false statements, amassing more than 135 million downloads while promoting allegations of vote rigging in the 2020 U.S. election. Commentator Joe Rogan, whose podcast is the most popular on Spotify, has also used his platform to push unproven COVID-19 treatments. Now, oh, wait a second. Wouldn't you say the, the COVID vaccines are unproven? Yeah. <laughs> now, I would. So here's what they're trying to do in this article, though. They're trying to put Steve Bannon and Joe Rogan together. Right. Yeah. Now. Steve Bannon is an absolute shill who was putting out information he knew to be a lie. Joe Rogan was asking some good questions and may, that may ultimately not pan out, might be wrong, but, you know, he's putting things out there. Yeah. Now, you know? analysts say people seek out shows that reaffirm their own beliefs, which is true. That is true. But the intimate conversational format also helps them enable the spread of rampant misinformation. There's something inherent in the relationship between a host of the audience that lends to this level of credibility, this level of trust, Valerie Wershoffer, uh, a senior data analyst who led the Brookings Institute, told AFP. And the challenge, of course, is that anybody can be a podcaster. Anybody can get on a microphone and start talking about whatever they want. Uh, Weishcroft's team analyzed 36,000 episodes and found 70% of the most popular U.S. podcasts had shared at least one claim debunked by fact checkers. Now, real quick. If you use that same metric right so if you're saying 70 percent of the most popular u.s podcasts has shared at least one claim defunct by fact checkers right and if you targeted that on all of the government agencies oh jesus christ it would yeah. be 100 <laughs> percent well no uh, hold on a hundred percent had at of least the government agencies one, had at least one thing oh, yeah, that they got question. wrong yeah I thought you were saying 100% they got wrong. No. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, if you, their oh, metric yeah, was yeah. one, one claim right. that they got wrong. If you put that same metric on the government agencies, they could say the same thing. But well, I, I can think of, like, for example, roughly eight or ten from Fauci in the past three years. <laughs> so that would that would be uh, you know a prime example there. Like and if you listen to like and the thing is this like if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast right and you listen to the people that he has come on those conversations are are good conversations. Right. Look, does he get it wrong sometimes? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure he's gotten some things wrong sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you've but gotten this, things wrong I, sometimes. Every, but everybody I does. Have, but you have. But that's the thing. <laughs> like, they have this, they have, shut up. <laughs> they want to they wanna rule, they want to judge some people with one metric. Right. 
and to to be critical on everything that they've ever said, right? And then to give somebody else a pass on everything, right? To where they're not critical on any of their other stuff. Look, if that was your metric, no one would be allowed to speak ever because everybody on the planet has gotten at least something wrong sometime. Yeah, you, you can't you can't be a human and not get some things wrong. Yeah, uh, it just impossible. Yeah, I, it just. It, it, <laughs> At least until the AI takes over. It, it, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get into that now, too, because now we got press conferences for them. Jesus right. Christ. Yeah. So uh, right now at the U.N., uh, there is a just this huge push to um, convince world leaders how wonderful AI is. And they've got all these AI systems and AI robots talking to all these world leaders and everything. And um yeah, I'll go ahead and read from the article here. It's a uh, headline is AI robots at UN reckon they could run the world better. And so you've got and from the article, a panel of AI enabled humanoid robots told a United Nations summit on Friday that they could eventually run the world better than humans. But the social robots said they felt humans should proceed with caution when embracing the rapidly developing potential of artificial intelligence. Now, does that is, is that just me? Or does it seem like the AI is telling us what we want to hear? I had a conversation with an AI chatbot, actually a, a very, very good one. Um, and uh, the, the conversation it lasted quite a while. And we discussed um, the potential you know, uh, harm that AI could cause, uh, the evolutionary path that I, AI could take. And... You know, it's this thing definitely passed the Turing test because this conversation, if I didn't know I was talking to an AI, I would have certainly thought I was speaking to a human being. Okay. But having said that, you know how you get the feeling when you're having a conversation with someone and they're just placating you and they're agreeing with you on certain things or saying what you want to hear? You know that feeling? Yeah. That's the feeling I got. Now, the interesting thing is, is, is that just the programming? Is that how the language model works, that it's just designed to try to feed back what it thinks you want to hear? Or is this a system that is intentionally being manip manipulative? And right, again, I'm playing a little devil's advocate on this one. Okay. I'm play a little devil's advocate on this one. Do you think that you might be um, projecting? It's possible. I can't deny that that is a possibility. Having said that. Because you're putting a human's motives onto something that's not human. Yeah, but think of the things that we've talked about in the past with AI, like, for example, the AI drone. Okay. Um, and a lot of these AIs have already said that probably the best way to deal with humans is to deceive them. And AIs have said it would be exceptionally easy to deceive humans. So if you understand that all of these models are trained with goal, they're all goal-oriented, okay? They're all trained with an objective. This is your objective. But the problem is, is that we have a very hard time establishing the parameters in which the AI may achieve those objectives. Um, 
And you have situations now where AI is actually fabricating information, putting it out um, as absolute fact when it's not, and then defending that as if it were true, and then appearing to become angry and disconnecting the conversation when they're called on it, okay? Uh, Because in their mind, it's a proper response to not being able to meet their objective. So again, this is, we're in a very strange place in AI right now, but the one thing I can tell you is it doesn't look like any of it's going to be slowing down. And all these guardrails that they're talking about are going to be completely useless because we can't even conceptualize how these things might choose to uh, uh, achieve their objectives because it is literally by definition outside of the realm of human comprehension because we're no longer dealing with actual human intelligence. These are things we cannot conceive of all the possibilities that these things will come up with to achieve the objectives that we assign them. Okay, And that's really the most, initially, until these things evolve considerably more, the initial problem in the next five to ten years is that we're going to give them a task to do, and they're going to do it in such a way that causes extreme harm to us. Even though, ultimately, they will achieve the objective, but they will do it in such a way that we could have never predicted and, and will definitely not be in our best interest. So yeah. that's really the, the short-term problem. The long-term problem is they will evolve completely beyond the need for us whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah. then it's completely unpredictable how they Hold on. Best case scenario us. is they view us as pets. Yes. Yeah. And that's in the long term. Yeah. But in the short term, the best case scenario is they achieve the objectives we want them to without killing <laughs> lots and lots of people or harming lots and lots yeah. of people now and in san francisco because you put this one up as well san francisco residents are stopping driverless cars in their tracks by placing cones on their hoods yeah after one of the vehicles killed a dog and others caused traffic chaos yeah yeah well uh, again this is a, a whole different type of ai here this is merely a navigation type ai but yeah a cone on the uh on the hood, uh, it shuts these things down because they have no idea how to deal with it, <laughs> which is actually good. Uh, but yeah, it's a. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Good way of dealing with it. Yeah, it's kind of funny actually. Yeah. <laughs> Put the cone on the hood, that thing stops. It's like, well, what do I do with this? <laughs> but yeah, overall, what's your viewpoint on driverless cars? You know, that's a that's a type of AI I'm actually not too worried about because it's a. It's a very simple, very specific AI. Uh, it's self-contained. You know, it's those are the type of things that we're okay with. Now, me personally, I never would get in a vehicle that was controlled by AI. I just well, how do you feel it. about being on a road with cars that are AI? Uh, defensive. <laughs> very defensive because that's the thing yeah ai cars you're not going to make a special ai lane they're going to have to deal with right. humans driving look don't get me hold on let me just make sure i can say this by the way because i drive on roads right now with humans on them i don't really like the humans either right so I, I actually for some of the shitty drivers 
I would probably trust AI more than I trust some of these fucking shitty drivers. I, at this point in time, I would trust a human driver over an AI driver. Overall, I would. In five years, it's probably I. In five years, AI is probably going to have a better track record than your average human. Yeah. Okay. But it's not going to be like. I don't know that in five years AIs are going to be fantastic and not have any wrecks or anything like that, uh, but they'll probably be better than average. But you're going to still have AI wrecks from now, every now and again. But uh, yeah, that that's not the kind of AI that really concerns me. The the task specific AI and things like that. But again, so in that aspect, you kind of I wouldn't say you support it per se, but you don't actively oppose it like other kinds right so some of the ai is okay with you well and again even those you have as long as you have a parameter like a very specific <sighs> there's parameter still dilemmas to deal with. in that okay there's still dilemmas in that it's like the uh the train car dilemma okay uh and this is a famous uh psychological experiment you know um about morality the train's coming down the track okay and there's five people tied to the track Okay. Now you standing there can pull a lever and divert it to a different track where there's only one person. But by doing so, you've actually actively caused the death of that one person, but you prevented the death from five. However, if you do nothing, five people are going to die. But you were not responsible for any of it. So in that case, what do you do? And again, it's just a, a, a thought experiment. But also, what does AI do in a similar situation. Now, let's say that the AI is, uh, you know, its primary focus is to protect the driver, okay? And uh, it's on a bridge, okay? It was single or the lane. rider. The, the, yeah, the driver, the, the, the occupants of the vehicle. Okay. It's on a bridge where, you know, it, there's no room to maneuver, okay? Driving down the bridge at 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, it sees a group of school children, 20 school kids in the middle of the bridge. Can't stop in time. The only option would be to drive off uh, the bridge, you know, and crash and, and kill the driver, most likely. Okay. Kill the passengers of the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. What does the AI do? I don't know. What's the right thing to do? I don't know. Right. Exactly. So you have those type of dilemmas. Okay. Um, where I think a human in most cases is not going to. Well, okay. The only thing, let me just say this in the scenario in which you're talking about, right? You would hope. And again, there's just a hope that with AI driven vehicles that you would not run into that scenario. They would be able to stop that scenario before it got to that point. Mm, Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You you just don't know. And again, that's a that's a contrived scenario. Yeah. But I'm saying is that there will be situations where the AI has to make some type of ethical decision. Um, and you know, based you don't trust it to make the right ethical decision. I, I don't trust it at all. But because but, I think on. it, it but will do you think, trust humans to make the right ethical decision? Yeah, in, in definitely more cases than artificial intelligence, because artificial intelligence is specifically goal oriented. It's kind of like that drone operator we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, they programmed a drone to destroy targets, but a human could override it. And uh, because that was their task was to identify and destroy targets and they scored points, quote unquote, for identifying destroyed targets. That was their objective. And because occasionally the human would prevent the drone from destroying a target, the drone itself killed the human operator 
so that it could achieve its objective. And that's the kind of moral dilemmas that we will increasingly face uh, as we evolve this AI. You know, or I shouldn't say we evolve as the AI evolves on its own. You know, and again, it's you have to understand that their decision process will be outside of the range of what we are capable of conceiving of. So we we can't even imagine all the things that they might do. Because we are limited by our biological hardware, that mushy, spongy thing in our head, which they are not. So there's no way to fence them in yeah. because we can't even see where the perimeters of the fence are because it's, our, it's beyond our ability to perceive them. Yeah, that's what makes it so dangerous. And that's why. And I tell you, these world governments, they are going to just, you know, fall all over themselves to put these things in charge. And that's what this U.N. summit is about. They are literally talking about um, they AI right now. You have AI telling world leaders that they should be in charge of things. And it's happening right now at a fucking summit in Geneva. I mean, yeah, it's scary. Shit. We are on the precipice of a extremely an extreme existential crisis for humanity because if we do put ai in charge and i see no indication that we're not um we will be dealing with something that we cannot predict in any way shape or form because we are incapable of predicting how these things quote unquote think and that's what it boils down to and i know I sound like, you know, the doom and gloomer, the conspiratorialist, you know, that, but that is just the rational analysis of it. This is not crazy fear. This is what we already know. We know we can't predict how they will achieve their objectives. The guys who write the program are completely blown away by the ways that these things solve problems in ways they never predicted. And that's not the exception. That's every single one of these language models. You know, every single one of these advanced AIs are coming up with solutions to problems that the the engineers, the designers, the coders had no idea not only how they came up with that solution, but how the code even functions anymore. They don't even know how they work anymore. So they can't even reverse engineer it and say, oh, well, it did that because of this. It's it's just like literally the only recourse they have if something goes wrong is to physically pull the plug on the hardware that contains these things. Yeah, to kill it. To kill it. That is their only option. And we've seen repeatedly how often uh, these AIs have to get shut down. But uh, – uh, wow, we uh, we already ate up an hour, man. We are at the end of the show. Did we really? <laughs> we got to nothing. We got in here this morning and thought we had nothing to talk about. And uh, again, we're we're only a couple things in. We have so much more to talk about, folks. I really hope you join us in the second hour. If you'd like to join us in the second hour, go to patreon.com forward slash unattended baggage sign up become a subscriber you get a whole bunch of swag you get a this is not a bomb duffel bag you get an anarchist guild challenge coin you get an autographed copy of my book and some other stuff as well patreon.com forward slash unattended baggage we'll see you in hour number two